Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim, and I am the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. Haven't done the long introduction in a while. It was nice. Yeah. I'm Marshall. It's true. And I'm the associate pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. Yeah. Canada. Did you say Canada? I didn't say Canada, which is North America. Well, yeah. The Western Hemisphere. Okay, let's not, we're not getting into that. That's just... Earth. When people are just like put, put down like their address, Earth. It's like what? I've never seen we, that. We figured that. Well, just like anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I did see this really, this science producing their like finding that was really exciting last week, and they found uh, an Earth-sized planet, mm-hmm. somewhat of a similar distance from a dwarf star. Okay. Uh, so that sort of Goldilocks zone that we were talking about. Uh, okay. And uh, like our moon, it seems to uh, orbit this star in a way that the one side is always facing in. Oh. Right? So it doesn't spin to create days like mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. we would have, mm-hmm. um, but more like the moon in that you're always seeing the same side. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Also in the Milky Way. Okay. Right, but being observed from like extraordinary distances. Sure, sure. And said, granted, it would be too hot on the surface for there to be water in liquid form. Mm-hmm. It would evaporate just from being exposed all day mm-hmm. uh, or all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the backside um, is probably then just covered in glaciers. And the zone sort of in the middle, the twilight zone okay. in the middle between the two is where liquid water will be found and probably life. And, and, I, was probably like, life. and I was like, hold on, <laughs> hold on. The leap That's a stretch. that you just took, like the presence of mm. hydrogen and oxygen mm-hmm. in the recipe for any form of walker, water, liquid, solid, or gas was a, a guess. Yeah, they don't know there's even ice there. You don't know that, yeah. right? It could be covered in methane, the whole planet, for all we know. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and so, like, and that, that would be way more likely than water. Right, but just the, the <laughs> presumptiveness of we could never get there because it's too far away. But what if we could get some a rover there of some sort to observe life on this planet? No way. You know, like, it's just, like, the leaps you took. Yeah. Right, and I don't even, to be honest with you, my theology is not shaken by finding mm. organism on another planet. Yeah. Right? We won't, but it wouldn't be shaken. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't think we will, but if we did, I wouldn't be like, oh my goodness, <gasps> did Jesus die on the cross for my sins? <laughs> right. Um, for and, and my reason would, would be for all of the things we spent the year talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. None of those things hinge on the fact that this is the only planet supporting life. Yeah, right? for sure. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting yep, that, that huge leap that was taken that was in some ways very relevant to things that we had just recently talking about. And we're going to continue to talk about some leaps today, Yay. Tim. Um, so we're, we're continuing with this kind of mini-series on the theory of evolution and understanding how it works and asking some questions mm-hmm. about whether or not it really works as well as it's presented. Um, keep in mind... The thing that if you if you've forgotten everything we talked about, the main two principles um, for Darwin's theory of evolution is that there is a common ancestor for all life, and that uh, change happens, evolutionary change happens through natural selection, random mutation that ends up being positive. Okay, and we've talked about those things, but um, we're going to talk about fossils today, Tim. Yes, we're going to talk about fossils. Fossils are cool. Fossils are a stage. Some some people never grow out of the stage. I don't want to... It's a cool thing no matter how old you are. But every kid, especially little boys, mm-hmm. go through this looking for fossils in the backyard stage. Mm-hmm. Right? You oh, got yeah. more than four rocks in a place, we're going to dig around those rocks and one of those is going to be a fossil. Yeah. Even if it's definitely not. It's like, look, it's, look at those markings. Yeah. It's a yeah. fossil. I know it is. And, and to be honest with you, like Ontario is great for fossils. Mm-hmm. Like the number, we used to have a creek running through our our backyard in Toronto, mm-hmm. and we found fossils there in the shale. It was, it oh, was that's cool. cool. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. So the idea is that different 
eras of history are represented by different layers of rock. And so through studying the fossils we find in various layers of rock, we can trace, at least theoretically, the development of life from single-celled organism to Mm -hmm. you and me. Um, Now, Darwin himself was able to study fossils. Um, The study was still relatively new, like... Darwin was really cutting edge for his time, and so while people had been had been looking at fossils over over the years, um, it wasn't something that um, that a lot of people had done for a long time. And so, one of the things when we look at the fossil record, one of the one of the issues, I guess, when we try to m- marry the fossils that we find with Darwinian evolution, is something that's known as the Cambrian explosion. Right. So the idea is that there was a, a time in history, oh man, I'm forgetting how many, like, I don't know, like 500 million years ago, allegedly, um, that suddenly dozens of varieties of animals, so the phylum, which is like the large groupings of, mm-hmm. of what animals are, dozens of those varieties, these complex creatures, so we're not talking like amoebas, um, we're not even talking like sea sponges, we're talking about complicated creatures uh, that were just suddenly a giant leap ahead from anything else. Right. Right? Uh, lots of variety uh, amongst these creatures and and com- complex creatures, right? With like multiple legs and arms and that hunted and could see and could do all these different things. And they just kind of appear. One of the, one of the major, first major discoveries um, of this kind of era of fossils actually happened here in Canada in the, the Rockies at West. And so they found all these all these creatures, and they're like, "Oh, look! Look! Isn't this awesome? This is like evidence of these more simplified creatures that ultimately will evolve into what we see today." Um, but but there's a problem. Yeah, the problem is that there's nothing that brings us to those creatures. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing. There's nothing in between. There's no, there's no inter, intermediary creatures that get us to like a trilobite. And if you, you know what a trilobite is, it's like that crab, crab looking thing. If you think like, if, if you can cast your mind back to your biology class, like a horseshoe crab, the hor- yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. It looks like that. Right. Um, which is considered to be, you know, one of the earliest complex creatures, but you don't get from, you don't get like, you know, um, parasites or whatever in a soup you know, in the cosmic soup to that overnight. So mm-hmm. where where are the steps that get you to that point and and you don't we don't really have any. Yeah, and we, we have the conversation a lot um on these topics when it comes to human evolution, which is again its own episode. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to uh, where people talk about the missing link. Mm-hmm. And that is really a bad verbiage. Mm. Because what we're not talking about is the link that's missing right mm-hmm. and, and that analogy what it causes us to think is that there's this running chain mm-hmm. with a singular link that is gone and if we can put that link into its place then the chain exists mm-hmm. the problem is not the missing link the problem is the lack of links right yeah ultimately yeah right that's it yeah and and, and what we're what we're seeing is not even it's not even like common parts of the chain laying around that aren't linked. Mm-hmm. We're just seeing like there are lots of different kinds of chain. We're just seeing different pieces of different mm-hmm. metal looped things laying around that don't connect. And we would even recognize them as different. We'd be like, well, that thing is going to have a different kind of a chain. Mm-hmm. But it also has no links. Right, right, <laughs> right. And so the, yeah. f- and, and and I I understand where someone might want to make the argument, yeah. But we're we're talking about like bacteria and single cell organisms and mm-hmm. and very small things. Surely there's no expectation that you'd have fossil record mm-hmm. of such small things. We actually do, though. but we do. Yeah, right. The a fossil record of multi cell organisms that aren't large as a dinosaur yeah, do exist. Oh yeah. Like Bacteria tiny, tiny can leave things. a fossil record. Yeah, sure. Right? And so so it's not like you just need an animal on a, a major scale mm-hmm. in order for it to leave behind a fossil. Mm-hmm. Um so so we we can't take that in and say, well, until it gets to this certain place, it doesn't have enough 
right. whatever to fossilize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because that's not the case. The case yeah. is we're looking for a thing that's not there and hasn't shown itself. And Yeah, Dar- Darwin actually wrote, um, geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps is the most obvious and greatest objection which can be urged against my theory. So, so Darwin recognized the issue here. Yep. Now, he went on, his reasoning was this. So he goes on to explain, look, there's missing chapters in the history book is how he would put it. So missing links in the chain, missing chapters. Somewhere we're going to find the thing that connects these things. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, it would only be a matter of time until, you know, rocks from the right era would be studied and the fossils of these transitional creatures would be found. Now, we've been digging in these rocks for the last 150 plus years, mm-hmm. quite a bit, um, for a variety of reasons, but art like paleontology being a, a significant one of them, um, deep sea drilling, offshore drilling, bringing up layers of rocks deep, deep below the ocean surface, that sort of thing. Um, the reality is that we still don't have those transitionary creatures. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, was, it was probably fair for Darwin to say at the time. Yeah, we, we're not seeing any of these things, but but just wait. Like, just mm-hmm. wait. Like, we're just scratching the surface of, of what we can look at. Surely, the, you know, the, the connections will be made, you know, after I'm gone. And thus far, they haven't. Right. Um, instead of seeing slow... Gra- if, if we take the layers of rock to represent eras of time that represent tens of millions of years or hundreds of millions of years each, which I'm skeptical of, but, but just allowing that for a moment... Um, what you see, instead of slow, gradual change over time, what you see are just brand new species appearing seemingly out of nowhere and then remaining unchanged for extremely long periods of time. Yeah, that's the really fascinating thing is that uh, even the scientists that study these sort of things don't talk about them in transitions. They talk about them in explosions. Right. Right? That, That there is time period where there's no no evidence leading toward this thing and then whoop there it is yeah yeah like like flying insects right like there was nothing that flew right on the according to their you know their their chronology there's nothing that flies um and then suddenly boom you've got like tons of different kinds of flying insects all of a sudden Mm -hmm. out of nowhere and Mm -hmm. it's like oh okay they disappear, right? Or and and then in the and then similarly they disappear, right? Right, sure, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and and the the argument is, and and I would say well founded that some sort of catastrophic thing happened to remove that, right? Right. But at the same time, then it has to come out of the discussion. It has to come out of the evolutionary discussion after it. Right, because this catastrophic thing mm-hmm. changed it. We've used the polar bears as our modern. Uh, example of this mm. if it's a catastrophic event that doesn't allow for enough time for them to shift then they have to come out of the evolutionary conversation mm-hmm. post the event but they're still very much a part of it before mm-hmm. how did they get here and why is there no record mm-hmm. of these things with maybe just one wing or just smaller wings or mm-hmm. wing like things yeah right why is there only nothing mm-hmm. And then a thing with wings. Yeah. Not even a version of the thing, but without wings. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And those wings operate, and that creature then uses those wings <laughs> as part of its, like, yeah. life to, to move around and, and right. feed itself. And, and like, and again, like, again, we're talking about random mutations. We're talking about just scrambling up the, the, uh, the computer code randomly and suddenly wings and they work and isn't that wonderful right right but you know what i i think it's worth taking time even as a creation creationist Mm -hmm. to look at this kind of thing and just marvel and be bewildered Mm. right Mm -hmm. um is it is it possible marshall (sighs) is it possible that maybe every creature that ever would be wasn't created at the point of creation Mm. and that God has at times just been like, let's play with some of these for a bit. Mm. Right. And that things are coming in and out of creation. I don't have a Mm. theological reason Mm -hmm. why that couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um, But these sort of, there's nothing and now there's an explosion and we have a physical record of it. 
mm-hmm. and and then is gone, why not? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not going to make an argument for it. I'm just going to say, and I'm going to do this a couple of times in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think there are things like this worth musing, mm-hmm. and I think it's overly simplistic. And and one of the things that we you and I've had talks about how we're handling these things, and mm-hmm. and I think the church should have talks about is we don't want to oversimplify and just become those ranty people with their hands over their ears mm-hmm. and their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Um, saying la, 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 la to everything that we see, right? We serve a God who is extraordinary and creative and capable to do whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And so why not muse? Are there species going extinct in our time? Yeah, we can chart that. We can we can recognize mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, might there be some sort of creature that didn't exist before that all of a sudden God's just going to be like, let's throw this in the jungles and just let people stumble across it. Just an example of my creative beauty, which he is still a creative and beautiful God. Sure. It's not like he was Mm -hmm. and now he's retired. Yeah. We don't, we don't pin him as the watchmaker God Mm -hmm. in anything else. Why in creation? So is it, is it possible that some of these things might burst and fade by the hand of God, why not? Yeah, I can think of a couple minor theological reasons, but let's not get do into it. it. No, do it. Um, concept of death before the fall mm. presents a. a I'm not talking issue. about that. Okay. Yeah. God resting from His creation after He makes some other various kinds. Again, I'm not saying those are yeah. nails in the coffin to what you're suggesting, because I'm I'm like if that's how, if that's how it if it is right, like if God was God, kind of continued the creative process in ways you know, outside of that, you know, outside of that, that form, the format that we get in scripture, um, and was just like, you know, doing different things and, and, you know, sure. I mean, of course he can, he's God, he's sovereign, he can do what he wants. So I, on that level, like, sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, um, I I, would say that rest after creation, um, insists upon permanent rest. mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. No, no. I like, it's a, it's a thing. It'd be, why not? Why not? Um, so, yeah, there is there was a theory put forward that was supposed to kind of answer how these species just kind of appear out of nowhere, mm-hmm. just kind of like pop into the the thing. It was called punctuated equilibrium, and so the the theory is that well, you see, the change from one species to another happens so fast that there's not enough time to find lots of fossils of the intermediate creatures, but but that causes problems because if you remember what we talked about last week, the likelihood of any random mutation mm-hmm. doing something positive is so infinitely small and would take so much time to theoretically happen that like, so they believe that like whales, for example, evolved from like a land mammal that looked kind of like a, I don't know, it looked, you know what a capybara is? Mm-hmm. Looked kind of like that. And that's where whales come from, which is really interesting. Uh, that's a take. Um, and then that happened. So that happened very rapidly, which is why we don't see a ton of fossils of in between that and, and modern whales. And it's like, right. that's a that's a stretch, man, because you're talking about tens of thousands of positive changes, you know, happening in a relatively short period of time. Um, yeah. So anyways, it's like it just doesn't it doesn't really work. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work in a way that we would look to it and say, um, based on our observations of how the world operates. Mm. How e- even if you want to take it outside of a theological thing, and you just want to say how we see the physical and natural world around us function, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense that an animal would change that quickly. Yeah. Right. Even if by quickly we mean theoretically like five million years, which is mm-hmm. essentially what they're estimating, like five to ten million years for this this like I don't know, like I don't even know what a capybara. I don't know what to compare it to. It's, it's like, a huge rodent. Yeah, yeah. So it's essentially yeah. So it's like yeah, it's like a, it's like a, like a giant beaver turning into a whale. Just doesn't 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 fly. Yeah, it doesn't and, and make it, sense. It like, also it, it also leaves a, a lot of other questions uh, because. Even when you study these things in isolation, they struggle. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, what happens is they say, well, it needed to because of these pressures. Right. Right? right. Generally, pressures for food or space. Sure. Right? But 
there would have to have then been the presence of so many other organisms battling for that food in space that other organisms would be making similar changes at the same time. Right. And we would be able to see those things as well. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have any of their links. Right. Either. And, if, and they didn't successfully change. You'd at least see the junk of the failed, their failed attempts to turn into whales or right. some other variety of sea mammal. Right. Like it's, right. You would also see an alleviation of the pressure. Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't need to change so much because once one organism started changing, then you have less competition for that food stuff. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, it just, so whereas I've already made my statement about the church needs to be careful not to oversimplify, mm-hmm. the paleontologist also needs to be careful not to oversimplify. Mm. And we've, we've seen these things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, dinosaurs were lizards, giant lizards, right? And we found a skeletal structure, and all of a sudden, I know what color right. a T-Rex is, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I know what it sounded like. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I can hear it, and I can be like, oh, that's the sound of a T-Rex versus the sound of a pterodactyl, which is very different. Right, right. Right? And I know, I know what color these are and, and basic markings and all of this stuff that is imagined on it. Mm-hmm. But when I watch these kinds of videos with my kids dinosaurs aren't necessarily lizards anymore Mm. they're more bird than lizard right right because the argument i i've even heard a scientist make an argument like a a long drawn out argument Mm -hmm. that the modern day chicken is an evolutionary ancestor of the t-rex or descendant yeah yeah i'm sorry sorry descendant and I just think, at what point was it more beneficial to be at the bottom of the food chain <laughs> That's a good point. than at the top? What evolutionary process was like, you know what's better than... How is that survival the fittest? Right. So, so granted, granted, it takes a lot of food to keep an, a T-Rex alive. Sure, yeah. So would a smaller T-Rex be more viable than a, than a giant one? Okay, I'm with you because mm-hmm. we're we're talking theory and logic. Yep, I'm yep. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Uh, but at what point would you shrink down to the point that you're like, you know what, flightless bird that is everyone's meal <laughs> is the better option, right? Right. And the yeah. reason they do this is mostly the reason the reason this is done with dinosaurs has become mostly around the structure of the foot. Right. Okay. Right. Like the a bird's foot. Mm. Sort of represents more what we find in raptors and okay. and the like, okay. and so that must be the ancestry, um, which I find I find it hard that um, we would say of all of the wild changes that would have taken place over time, mm-hmm. the structure of the foot is the the element of this creature that is going to maintain for your billions of years. Yeah, you think that would be the thing that would change. And, and even if it didn't, like everything's changed. Right. Absolutely. If you want to go from <laughs> if you want to go from a raptor to a chicken right. and you're going to be like a butt, three toes yeah. and one spur in the back, huh? Yeah. Like I'd be like so I have so many more questions like at what point was it more advantageous to have a beak than razor sharp teeth? Right. I always, don't know. I've always thought too like going from like cold blooded animals to warm blooded animals like well, how did that work? Right? Like I'm just curious and I haven't done the research on it. Like yeah. I'm just genuinely I'm genuinely curious to know what the explanation is even though I'm pretty sure it's going to be nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the thing the thing with all of this though like when it comes to exploring these things you know Candace and I were at the ROM not too long ago just a few weeks ago and kind of walking through some of the, the exhibits and whatnot and we have to we have to be able to distinguish facts from interpretation of facts. I, f- I found this found this interesting quote just kind of in one of the things I was articles I was reading is facts don't say things people say things based on their interpretation of the facts, right? So so worldview is going to come into play in how the fossil record is going to be interpreted. So if you go to a museum uh, to look at an exhibit or you read an article that talks it's talking about you know evolution in National Geographic you need to ask some questions is like who is writing this why are they writing this 
um, how much of this is based on evidence and how much of it's speculation. I mean, even just like when Candace and I were going through the dinosaur exhibit, there were a, a handful of skeletons where there was a significant number of original bones, but they all, they're all total dinosaurs when you look at them. But then if you look at the little plaque in front, there's a color-coded thing where the stuff in, I'm going to mix it up, stuff in yellow is just like a recreation and the blue is the actual original bone. Mm-hmm. It's either that or the inverse. But in any case, what we found is like like 90%, 90% of 90% of skeletons was just total recreation. So they find like they find like a hand bone and then they're like, and they create this like giant sloth out of it. Right, and I'm not saying that giant sloth didn't exist. I'm sure, sure they did, because there's probably more complete skeletons somewhere else, and that's that's fine. But just like to understand what it is you're actually looking at, mm-hmm. and then like the artistic representations of it, like this is what this is what it looks like. It was like we don't know that we just have some bones in the ground. Right, like, we have no clue. Um, right. Just just because you mentioned the ROM, mm-hmm. I I think that there are, are probably a lot of our Ontario listeners. They would be like, yeah, the ROM, right, and and. The thought is it's linked to the University of Toronto. It's going to be left. Of course, it's going to have these kinds of things and just play into Mm -hmm. uh, this evolutionary as an understood thing um, with an anti-God agenda. Whatever it is that you might think about that and and just want to be like, dismiss it, be like, yeah, it's over there. You mentioned the ROM and and there's this portion of the ROM that just crushes my heart. And so the ROM was built in 1912 mm. by the University of Toronto. Yeah. And in what used to be, because it's gone through so many expansions mm-hmm. and rebuilds, but the original entrance is still there. Mm-hmm. You can still go to the original entrance, and it has this incredible entryway that is just sort of like, it looks like a church like an old Catholic or Orthodox church. And in the ceiling, it says that all men may know his work. Mm-hmm. I noticed that when we were there, actually. And you just hear your ancestors crying out, we want to present to you science and history so that you would see the hand of God. Mm-hmm. That is a foundation of why the ROM was established mm-hmm. that has real, I mean, obviously, sure, they've gotten away from it. That's why universities were established. It's all these institutions, these wonderful things that we enjoy in the society were created, at least under the pretense that they were to be magnifying the glory of God and drawing people's attention yes. to, to him and what he's done. Mm-hmm. And now, like in recent years, at least, they've, They've become factories for doing the exact opposite. Yeah, and, and I would even say 1912 is post-Darwin. It is, yeah. And Darwin is being taught mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that every time I see that, and, and, and the thing that gets me is it's so historic and so visually appealing, they can't paint over it. No. They can't tear it down. No. It has to stay there. And I wonder how many people have taken... A look at that and thought we can't destroy it mm. but how do we get rid of it yeah i'm sure there's been some letters sent that we they, at least just change it to so that all will know her work or something and then that would be more i i, I would i would bet money they've received emails to that effect anyways the, the, the idea of the representation of things being kind of like you see a picture of it so therefore it's based on accurate science um, there's a book, there's a famous book called Why Evolution is True. And on the jacket, like on the cover, you see four animals. There's like a dinosaur, mm-hmm. then there's like a feathered dinosaur mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then there's like this freaky looking bird. And then there's an ostrich, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is like, it's set in like, it's supposed to be what's chronological order. But then literally on the inside of the book, it says that the, the cover depicts a chronological sequence of evolution of birds, but that they are uncertain if the process actually includes the first three creatures depicted. So really, if they wanted to be accurate, they just would have had a picture of an ostrich and called it why evolution is true. <laughs> Did you grow up with any of this birdification of the dinosaurs? Oh, yeah, yeah. Had they started that with you? Yeah, they okay. started it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's how old I am. Yeah. 
Yeah. They had started to. It was a pretty it was a pretty novel thing, right? They're actually birds. Birds are dinosaurs. Anyways, um if you look and okay, here's the other thing. If you look at like evolutionary charts, right? So you you might have seen these charts where you've got like some little kind of creature at the bottom and then you've got these like dotted lines that go to a series of different creatures and then mm-hmm. lines that go to recognizable creatures from today. Typically what you're going to find in the footnotes is it's going to indicate that certain lines, the line is drawn a certain way. It's indicating something that we don't have any supporting fossil evidence for. And in nine times out of ten, so if you if you just look at that that graph that's supposed to kind of look like a tree that just starts at the beginning and goes up in multiple ways, you remove those those lines where there's no evidence. All you just get are just different spe- different kinds of animals. Mm-hmm. Like that's all you get, and it's like oh, and then this this horse became a, a slightly different horse, or the wolf got bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Or the or the you know or whatever it is right or the lizard got smaller like it's literally like so these connections between different types of creatures don't exist in the fossil record right they're just assumed and you look at a chart and you're like look see here's the connection they've made these connections between these creatures but then the little footnotes like well actually (laughs) we don't have that what we do have are just fossils from these creatures and we're just assuming that they're all related somehow because they must be because darwin said so right and so so this is how it this is how you operate within the academic world of theory Mm. right within the academic world of theory you establish your hypothesis Mm -hmm. and you test it as best you can Mm -hmm. um i'm i'm not going to require an, an evolutionary naturalist to do a 10 billion year Right. experiment sure of course based on time and chance mm-hmm. right that's unthinkable uh, but you establish your hypothesis you support it as best you can with what evidence you have available and then the next practice is to say presuming this to be true mm. what would be the consequences mm. what evidences or what what consequences would we expect and do we see evidences toward those ends, mm. right? So it's not entirely unfounded to put these things in between and say, could it possibly be that we would go from this to this? Mm. Where it becomes problematic is when we start talking about those presumptions in the same voice that we talk about the known information, mm. right? So the fossil is your known information, right? Whether it has fur or scales or feathers, I don't care. Mm. The fossil is a known information. What we currently have is a known information. It's okay to presume between the middle of them if you want to try to develop your theory. Mm -hmm. The problem is you can't talk about the presumptions with the same kind of confidence that you talk about your known entities. And that's where... I would say science, when it comes to evolution, particularly in the fossil records, becomes academically disingenuous, mm-hmm. right? And, and it loses a lot of academic credibility with me mm-hmm. when those kinds of things, when they say, not only do we believe these transitionary animals to have existed with the same confidence that before, we, we will find them, we just need time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the process of how they transition from one into another, right, is spoken with such certainty. Now, again, you have to muse that. If you're going to say, well, we believe that the shift would have looked like this, then you have to say, well, why would it have shifted? And then you have to invent a a scenario that would have Mm -hmm. caused those changes Mm -hmm. and say, what is the plausibility of such a scenario, and is there evidence? Mm -hmm. When the conclusion of that is, it's highly improbable because the amount of time and chance needed is just not something that can be calculated. Mm. And the evidence is entirely missing. At that point, you have to abandon the theory. <laughs> One would right? think that. Because at, because at what point do you say there's not enough evidence to support my hypothesis? Mm-hmm. Right? But, the pro- the, the, but again, it's because this is... This has gone. This has gone beyond, you know, testing hypotheses. This is worldview, yeah, right. And so, if if Darwin's theory 
can't be proved through scientific study, then suddenly, suddenly, you know, people have to go back to the drawing board or perhaps concede Mm -hmm. that the only way you get order, the only way you get change in a meaningful and positive way uh, is when you have an intelligence behind it. Yeah. When there is a computer programmer, an engineer, an architect, an artist, when you have a mind behind it, that is when you can get creativity and beauty in these types of things. Apart from that, it's it's just chaos. But but that is that is a bridge too far because people have just are just as invested as this is the thing that people don't realize. People need to understand there are some people, some I'd say more in the academic seen than, than just like, you know, the guy working next to you on the line at the factory. But there are so many people that are so heavily invested into their atheism, so invested, perhaps more invested than a lot of Christians are in their faith, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so it's like w- they have a lot to lose mm-hmm. if this thing doesn't pan out. Yeah. And I, I think um, I think that there's reason also for the church to spend more time. Mm-hmm considering these kinds of things. Sure, yeah. Right? That's why I, I brought up earlier my my notion of just musing why we might have explosions of organisms in a fossil record mm-hmm. that are there and then not. Mm-hmm. Right? We also need an answer for that. Mm-hmm. And so just to show you kind of how this musing might work from a Christian worldview, um, I'm going to go with the, the notion that there is a creative being that seems to be the highest point of evidence for me, mm-hmm. a creative being who... Uh, set things into motion and actively has his hand on what is taking place. Mm. Uh, question for you. There's not a right or wrong answer. Okay. Do you believe that dinosaurs are mentioned in the book of Job? Uh, I don't know. I don't... Okay, here's here's the thing. What are your leanings? You don't have to be definite. Leanings are, leanings are yes. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. But I'm not like. But I'm not going to plant my flag in the ground there. Yeah, I, I don't like the. I don't. Some commentators are like, um, what? What is uh, behemoth? Is behemoth is a hippo? Mm-hmm. I mean, hippos don't have tails like cedars. So like, no. Like that's that, it's describing something that is uh, does not. Those those creatures are I, either they're being used. There's there's that option that he's describing like he's describing like a hippo and a crocodile. I'm just I dismiss because it doesn't it doesn't line up. It doesn't sound like the description. No, it's either either he's describing dinosaurs or it, he's being. Those are images that are meant to be poetic in the sense of God creates the you know the the mm-hmm. create all the creatures the greatest creatures even the mythical beat you know what I mean like so like yeah. I don't and know. there's evidence for that specifically for Leviathan. Yeah, Leviathan is used symbolically in other parts. In, of the, in the ancient Near East, mm-hmm. Leviathan was a known entity uh, as a representative of chaos, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so it would have it would have landed with those people mm-hmm. um, as a known entity that was an example of chaos, not believed to be an actual thing, right? Mm-hmm. In the same vein that if someone mentioned dragons. Mm-hmm. Today we would be like no one really believes that there are dragons, but we all have a picture in our minds right now of what you mean when you say dragon. And right? cultures from all over the world who weren't connected to one another had right. dragons. So, that, that, so Leviathan, that, Leviathan is similar, not same. I don't want anyone to walk out here being like, "Did you know that Tim believes that Leviathan is the dragon?" No, <laughs> the Psalms uh, talk about dragons. The, but he, I, I don't believe that. These mentions in Job are dinosaurs mm. because I believe that if dinosaurs were on the earth at the same time that humans were making record mm. and they were here in the scale that mm. the fossil record shows, mm-hmm. we'd have a lot more discussion about these massive reptiles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, probably. Like this would be a significant thing to talk about. <laughs> and and their yeah. disappearance would be significant and probably have some sort of theological Sure. Because the secular world even says, you know, like this was an event mm-hmm. and not an overtime thing. Well, mm-hmm. they say both. It was an event <laughs> that caused an overtime thing which right, right. is speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh 
but we would we would have those discussions. Yeah. Right? Those would be recorded. Mm-hmm. So I think there are things that don't exist now. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, lost over time as animals have gone extinct mm-hmm. over time. I don't need to connect it to a modern a modern animal. Mm-hmm. But I can't deny that we are finding bones in the earth of animals that don't exist now. Yeah, of course. So if I'm going to say I believe in a creative God mm-hmm. who brought things into existence, yet I still need to weigh that against where we are and what evidences we have before us, I'm able to take certain kinds of musings. And so one mm-hmm. sort of probably my most far out, and this isn't to say like this is where I plant my flag, it's just amusing, mm. uh, which is when you say a musing, you get an awesome revelation of the etymology of the mm-hmm. word amusing. In order for plants to grow, in order for society to operate the way that it does with fossil fuels mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. things of those that nature, we need a certain amount of nutrition within the earth and soils. Mm. When God brought plants into the world, he didn't bring them into a place where there was sterile ground, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? How do we get fertile ground? Mm. We get fertile ground by decomposing vegetative matter mm-hmm. in the soil. I believe that it's possible for God to speak the world into existence with things that had already been dead for some time in the soil at the point of their existence, Mm. which means they only ever existed as a partially decomposed thing, Hmm. which I talk about this with my kids sometimes just to make them go, dad, stop. You're hurting my head. Yeah. Right. But without it, we wouldn't have plant life. Mm Mm-hmm. The way it, it would just wouldn't have existed. It would have grown and died off as far as we know for a natural process. Sure. I wonder if if it's possible. I don't see why it wouldn't be possible for some of these things that we find in uh, in the depths of the earth to also have been that. Mm. Is there is there a reasonable possibility mm-hmm. in a creative uh, in a creationist worldview to say mm. maybe dinosaurs only ever existed <laughs> as fossils? I mean, maybe, maybe because I, God wanted us to find something in the sandbox. Because who we've already talked about it. Everyone <laughs> loves finding something crazy in the sandbox, and yeah. and also to supply mm-hmm. what we would need mm-hmm. for society to flourish as it does. Yeah, right. As a as a resource, mm-hmm. um, I don't see why that's beyond the realm of possibility. And so when people mm-hmm. are like, well, if you don't believe that the dinosaurs existed in in Job, then you either have to deny the existence of dinosaurs or that uh, that creation took place as the Bible says it does. I'm like, no, I don't. I, I, mm-hmm. I really believe there's an option for them mm-hmm. to have only existed, but I'm not going to teach that. Yeah, or I'm, they could have died out early on in history. I'm not going to say that as a fact. Yeah. I'm just, well, at that point, you have to have an old earth days equals age kind of a thing, right? Well, I'm not and, really, because like, or or... You don't think the first 11 chapters of Genesis and the book of Job would have more to say about dinosaurs? They're written by Moses. And it's, it was revealed to him by God at Sinai. So if God, it, it, he only wrote down like what was used under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously. And obviously he's still using his own knowledge and understanding, but like, yeah. Yeah, so I anyway. Don't I don't know. Yeah, like, like I don't I said, think it requires it. There's a lot of things that aren't mentioned in the first chap- 11 chapters of Genesis. There, There is some level of free thinking that we have to do in order to try to put pieces together to test theories mm-hmm. and ultimately land on this. This is my point in saying all of this. There's no way to know. Yeah, no, there's no way At to know. this point, mm-hmm. there's not enough evidence to uh, deny or to uh, assert my position. Mm. So that's why I say, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I like to think about these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But it's different if I were to come in and say, this is exactly what happened and this is why it took place and this is mm. this is the process that was used for it right. and the intention behind it. Right, right. right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, like for me, I guess my issue, like the stuff, with, when it comes to the fossil record, just considering like how fossils are made, um, right, because when most things die, I mean, they die, 
they're going to be eaten by something else. Mm-hmm. Bones are going to be scattered, but you have all these kind of like solid creatures. Um, you have some really interesting fossils, fossils of like a fish with a smaller fish that it's like bitten hanging out of its mouth and it's fossilized. Yeah. Right. So like it didn't just like die instantaneously and then was nothing messed with like either one of those fish. Like, or there's, there's like this like marine dinosaur. I think it's called like an ichthyosaur or something that's in the middle of giving birth. Like, and in both instances. Really? Yeah. And, and in the, in both instances, these creatures are fossilized in an instant. Like they're mm-hmm. buried under th- the tons of mud immediately. Because if they died, like if that thing died in childbirth, something else would have come around and ate it. Right. And it's young. So it has to be buried under all this sediment and mud in a very short period of time, instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Right? I think uh, I know where you're headed with this. Right? No, I'm just saying, and I'm not going to make that claim. Like, I'm not going to go to that claim, but it, like, if we're talking about catastrophic end to life, because like fossil record is not, a record of life is one way of looking at it. It's really a record of death, mm-hmm. right? And sudden death on a massive scale. And maybe that happened multiple times. Maybe it happened just once. But, you know, we've also, like, there's there's some real issues with the fossil record. And, like, a lot of things, fossils that are found that don't align with the main narrative are kind of often kind of shuffled off to the side, right? We've discovered species that were supposed to be extinct, right? There was this fish called a coleocanthus that was supposed to have been extinct 65 million years ago. And then they just found it in Madagascar, exactly the same as the fossil that they found in rock that was supposed to be tens of millions of years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or finding fossils that shouldn't exist. They found an iron hammer encased in rock. The rock was supposed to be from 400 million years ago. They tested the hammer. Apparently, that's supposed to be from 500 million years ago. Somehow, the iron was like 97% purity or something. So, like, there is, some things do not add up. And mm-hmm. so, I just say that to I say all that to say... The fossil record, the way we date fossils and the way we understand what the different layers of rock represent, how these creatures were fossilized, is not is not as certain as a lot of people will make it out to be. Yeah, that's that's worth noting. Um, and and I've heard a lot of academics get really bent out of shape when this gets brought up. Mm-hmm. The notion that uh, carbon dating is not as accurate as it's often discussed to yeah. be. Yeah, you can uh, carbon date stuff that says it's in the future. Figure that one out. <laughs> right. Or or there sometimes there there have been a lot of experiments done where known things mm. so you you take a thing, you kill it, mm-hmm. you put it in a scenario um that would not be advantageous to carbon dating mm-hmm. and then you carbon date it and you get wild numbers out of it. Mm-hmm. Um those kinds of things exist and I and I've heard academics challenged on this that the just visceral because there's no other way to describe it (laughs) reaction was oh my goodness you've been listening to those christians again like just the known thing the known thing was you've been listening to those christians and uh just completely dismissing it Mm -hmm. right but uh it's 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 worth knowing does that mean that all carbon dating is is a hoax i don't think so Mm. No, but no. it's but it's not. I won't say it's not an accurate science. It's not a precise. It's, it's, not, as it's precise. not as precise as we would. Yeah. be led to believe it. Yeah, is. under certain conditions, if certain conditions are favorable, mm-hmm. and the you know the the half life of that radioactive type of carbon, you know, if, there, if there's nothing else in the environment, like if nothing else in the environment has changed, right? Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it's supposed to be relatively accurate, and is probably in in most circumstances. But again. You know, when it doesn't work or when it doesn't line up or when it doesn't fit the narrative, then those those results are kind of discarded out of hand oftentimes or, or not published. Right. Like if, if you you know, like if, if someone's studying at the university, they're doing they're doing a study and they're studying some fossils or studying something like that. And suddenly they come across something that is not going to be well received or is not going to line up with the prevailing theory. Um, I mean, maybe they'll go rogue and do their own thing. But a lot of times they're just like, oh, well we're going to choose not to publish about this particular finding because that doesn't support my study, which is being funded to do a specific thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like a lot of times these studies, scientific studies start with, this is the conclusion we're, we're hoping to find. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, we're going to grab all the other, th- all the things that support that, that end conclusion. 
Yeah. And we're going to disregard the things that don't. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. That's an unfortunate part of living in a broken world. It's right? just yeah, because we we do that in the church too, right? Of course um, we do. Of course if, we do. If a, if if Answers in Genesis hired someone to challenge mm-hmm. the carbon dating of a specific thing, mm-hmm. and they came out with results like what was presented by a secular science. Um, they're not going to show that either. No, <laughs> right? they're not going to yeah. show that. No, they're not. Right? And yeah. and they're going to ask you that guy to do it again. And if he does it again, it says, like, you know what? I've tested this multiple times and, and mm-hmm. it seems to be there. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't, it doesn't necessarily change that person's outcome or worldview one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But his work's not going to get published by it's not Answers a, in Genesis. Yeah. They're not going to say, hey, there's this thing that's out there and it's questionable and we don't have an answer to it. Right, because it doesn't fit in their tiny package either. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing that I think I would take most out of this is not just the fossil record creates a problem that the secular world doesn't want to admit to. Mm-hmm. I think the fossil record creates a problem that the world doesn't want to admit to, mm-hmm. regardless of your worldview. Mm-hmm. And it tells us True. that nobody has the tidy little package. Mm-hmm. None mm-hmm. of us have the little box with the bow on top of it that's just like, look at how neat and pretty. Mm-hmm. This is Instagram worthy mm-hmm. right here. There's yeah. always this thing hanging out of the box that you're just like, I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because we're finite mm-hmm. and incapable people. Mm-hmm. And maybe God will continue to reveal himself as we continue to pursue Mm. him Mm -hmm. and his creative works. Maybe these are just things. Here's a a wild thought for you. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe these are just things that we can only barely see and understand. Like, for example, imagine if there was a glass that you were looking through and it was really dirty and you were able to see enough outside of it to know, like, you know that it's daytime, Mm-hmm. You see a form and you're like, that's most likely a tree. Um, and and I saw something pass by, kind of probably, you know, it's very bird-like, but mm-hmm. looking through that dirty window, you're not able to put all the pieces together, but you're able to put some of the pieces together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just not with great detail. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe what we're doing in our finite state is looking at the world as if through <laughs> a dirty window or a mirror that's dimly lit. <laughs> right. And <laughs> and it won't be until Christ returns and renews mm-hmm. all things to himself mm-hmm. that we are able to see it as if it were face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like that. That's just my analogy Probably. that I'm working with. Um, I came up with that on my own. I like it. <laughs> That's great. Someone should write that down. <laughs> if, they, if someone wrote that down, they would still be using it 2,000 years later. <laughs> it's that good. That'll stick. That'll preach him. All right. Close this off. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you later. Bye-bye.